Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Get ready for it. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online, supertalk.fm. I'm Richard Cross. Michael Borky's in the studio. Brian Haydad is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Brian's got Rippy in the studio this afternoon as well. Haydad will be with us for about an hour and a half, and then he's going to split and head to the hump for a little basketball tonight. Mississippi State. Hosting the Florida Gators, game tips off at 6 p.m. And then a little bit later tonight, 8 o'clock, in Oxford, Ole Miss hosting LSU. So a lot of basketball to get to with you this afternoon. First, we'll tell you that Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land in North Mississippi for a little over 100 years, which means they kind of know what they're doing, and they kind of know how to help you. They understand the challenges that go along with financing land. It's a little bit different. It's not like just running to the bank or going to a mortgage company and saying, hey, I need a loan to build a house, because it's a unique circumstance. You're building a dream home on a specific piece of property, or maybe you're building a cabin on land you already own. Maybe you're buying land for those purposes, to build a dream home or to build a cabin. Mississippi Land Bank understands all of those things. You can find a branch location near you. You can also find a telephone number to give them a call at their website, mslandbank.com. What's up, boys? Borky, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm actually really fired up, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but the Sanderson Farm Championship here in Jackson, uh, big news. Big news. So it's moving up about a month, and it's still after the Tour Championship, so it's not going to be in the regular season, but it no longer competes against a WGC. The purse has been upped by $2 million, hey. and there's a bid for the Masters on the line. So it's earlier in the fall, so the weather presumably will be better, and it's far more attractive now for the bigger names in the sport to come to Jackson to play in that tournament. So your boy Cam Champ goes, and now you give a bid to the Masters. <laughs> I mean, really? That's really cool. We will uh, we'll get into the details of that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Hey, Dad, you ready for some hoops tonight? I am. I am. I'm interested to see if MSU can get back on the uh, the winning side of things. I think they can. I tend to agree with you. I mean, this feels like the ultimate backs against the wall still relatively early in the year, or at least relatively early in conference play, and like you don't have a whole lot of margin for error, but a win tonight for Mississippi State over Florida, and all of a sudden you feel a little bit better about yourself. Yeah, yeah you win that one, you can go to Vanderbilt and probably win that one on Saturday, then you're back to 500, and it feels like a reset a little bit. 
Yeah, I would uh, I would certainly agree with that. Ole Miss with a game at home tonight, Rippy against LSU. Borky calls this a validation game. Is that an accurate description? Is that a good way to describe it? Or have they already kind of validated themselves? I think they've validated themselves to a degree, but I don't disagree with the labeling because they, you know, they're no after the week they had last week, they're no longer, you know, the under the radar team. I was going to say no longer the plucky underdog, but they still kind of are given where they were projected to finish and, you know, first year head coach and all of that. But yeah, sure. Like now that you're not catching anyone by surprise and you're playing two more quality opponents, starting with a really good team tonight, yeah, I, I certainly think it. It would further validate them. Yeah, and we'll, we'll take a look at, uh, as we get deeper into this this afternoon, some of the matchups tonight, because uh, there's one in particular that certainly looks going in like it is in favor of LSU, and that's with a big man down low. Nas Reed, the freshman at LSU, has been outstanding. And we'll see if Ole Miss has got an answer for him in the post. And, of course, Tremont Waters, who was uh, really, really good a year ago as a freshman, had a bit of a slow start this season is playing like he did a season ago. So a big challenge for Ole Miss tonight. Uh, hey, Dad, we, we've talked about this in football terms. We've talked about it in baseball terms in the past. But the reality is once you start winning, the um, pressure's not the right word, but, but every game you play becomes bigger because yeah. of what you're playing for as opposed to just kind of playing the games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but the same, but the same can be said for losing, though. I mean, Mississippi State's You're in exactly a huge right. game tonight in Week Three or Game Three of the SEC season because they're zero and two. By that same token, Ole Miss is in a big game tonight in Game Four because they're three and zero, and you want to see how long you can keep that going. So, both teams are in games where you know State's in must win. I think Ole Miss isn't in must win, but they would sure like to get a win to go to four and zero because at that point, any last people who are thinking that they're not for real have to have to get on board with them and then by the other token for Mississippi State they can bring a lot of you know of sanity back with a win tonight yeah it's also for Ole Miss just building up margin for error when you hit yeah. that point in the season you begin to hit the wall because they do have two big freshman contributors and there's always some semblance of a freshman wall but really just the team in general where you hit you know late January to early to mid-February where it's just become such a grind and you're deep into conference play, you want to be able to absorb, you know, two of three, three of four, something like that if you were to lose a few. Yes, I, I think that's a uh, certainly a relevant point when you, you look at – I mean, it, everybody's going to run into that this year, I think. I mean, maybe with the exception of Tennessee, it, it feels like everybody in the league is going to have a stretch where – they lose two out of three games. You know, whether they're the better team or not, just because of the the balance of the league, you're going to have that stretch where you lose a couple of games. And so how much equity have you built up kind of before you get to that point? And can you slam the brakes on it being two out of three and not allow it to turn into four out of six or four out of five or, or something along the lines of that? That's probably going to be the difference in making the NCAA tournament and not making the NCAA tournament, regardless of whether your name is Ole Miss or Florida or Mississippi State or Kentucky, for that matter. I would even throw Tennessee in there. Because if you watch that game at Florida, you know for 32 minutes, 33 minutes, that was a fight on the road. And so, yes, I think Tennessee's better than everybody else, but I still think they're going to run into it. This is Tennessee's last five games of the season at LSU, at Ole Miss, Kentucky State at Auburn. That's how they finish. 
That's so tough. I mean, they they could go two tough. and three in that. Yeah, yeah, they could. Uh, I'm going to say that by the time they get to that point, they will have already sewn up like a top three seed. Um, but you still want to be playing your best at the uh, at the end of the year. Some other stuff we're going to get to with you this afternoon. Uh, a look at the quarterback transfer portal. It's actually just the NCAA transfer portal, but it seems as if most of what people care about uh, is quarterback. Is Mississippi State still in the market for a quarterback via the transfer portal? Is there going to get to a point, hey, Dad, where we don't snicker when we say the portal? Uh, probably. It'll be a while, though, because it is funny. Yeah. As a video gamer, I hear the word portal, and I think of the game portal. So I'm just picturing quarterbacks just shooting from one place to another. I, I, I can't help it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you on that. Borky, is that what you would have named it, or would have you given it another flashy name? <laughs> I mean, not Portal, right? It just That doesn't make any sense. Database would have worked just fine, and nobody would have made fun of you. The, uh, the transfer yeah, database. List. That's boring. Just list. Just the transfer. That's list. even more boring. <laughs> Portal's good. Quick, you'd have gone with Matrix, perhaps. The it's transfer tra- matrix. The transfer cornucopia. We've got a couple of hoops related guests coming your way this afternoon. We're going to chat with Hugh Kellenberger, who is now with the Athletic, and he's um, managing editor of their college basketball coverage. I may have made that title up, uh, but he's got uh, kind of his finger on the pulse of uh, college basketball across the country. Look forward to uh, that conversation. Also, David Brandt from the Associated Press will be with us a little bit later this afternoon. On this day in 1999, one of the great movies of all time was released. Its name? Varsity Blues. Ten! Ten! She's a ten! Thank you, Billy Bob. Drew Brees has a birthday today. 40 years young for the Saints quarterback. Is Major League Baseball headed for a strike? Borky has kind of been scratching at this wound a little bit over the last couple of days. We're going to try and get to that conversation and why anybody would be even asking that question. You've got the line in the Chiefs-Patriots game, and it appears as if the total points that are being predicted, or at least put out there by Las Vegas, are being directly affected by the forecast. Does Jim Cantore have it right We'll look at that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Plus more, including your texts on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Here's a suggestion for um, the name for the transfer portal. Let's call it the Swap Shop. Hey, it's like the Saturday morning Swap Shop on your local AM radio station. Ah, looking to trade these chickens for a chicken coop. Or best offer. Something along those lines. (laughs) More coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Don't forget you can uh, download the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast. It's available every day after the show ends. You can get it on 
Google Play. You can get it in the Apple Podcast Store. It's also now available on Spotify, which is growing like crazy. Not only can you get the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast, you can get the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Some guy named Haydad and Joel Coleman bring that to you every day. It's all the Mississippi State you want. And you guys are giving out awards, right? Uh, yeah, this week, this uh, Friday, will be the first ever Joel T. Awards. I'm really proud that you called it first ever and not first annual because I was going to immediately correct you if you had called you it the first you annual. You can't have a first annual thing. Thank it's you. annual after year one. Wait, no, yeah, you can. No, if, you if can't. It, it's, it's inaugural. You inaugural. Inaugural. Okay. First ever. See, but annual means it's happened before. Does that not drive you crazy when you see a press release or you get an invitation to something that is the first annual? Yes. That, 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 that is a peeve. I'm with you. Clearly, Rippy does not bother you. It will now. No, I don't think it's going to bother you. Oh, me. no, yeah, you're going to notice it now, though. No, you you, you see first annual, and you're going to go, no such thing. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, if you say first inaugural, you're going to make people use no, their brain No, you don't more. say first inaugural. You just say the inaugural, which means the first. I'm probably sticking with first annual. People knows what it well, means. You can oh, just stick okay. with being wrong, Rippy. That, that's it. I mean, there, sometimes in life you just make decisions to be wrong, and if this is the hill you want to die on, feel free. How He's it, now contemplating. <laughs> He's thinking it through. You go check your AP style book and see what it says. Even if it's like intending to be an annual thing, that's what I think of it as. Well, then in the second year of the event, it can become the second annual. Right. Leading into the first event, it is not an annual event. It's an inaugural event. Okay, we're wasting time here. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's dive into some uh, some hoops discussion for tonight. Hey, uh, let's see. We got a, a text from Donna who says we never talk about Mississippi State women's basketball. We do. We do talk about Mississippi State women's basketball. We do not give it the same amount of coverage that uh, the men's teams get, and that is not a slight. Uh, it's certainly it's not an intentional slight. It's just um, you, you try to appeal to the broadest base of fans, and generally speaking, there are more fans for men's basketball. But what women's basketball has done at Mississippi State is nothing short of incredible back-to-back national championship games, and they roll again last night on the road against Auburn. Really didn't even sweat in that game last night. Hey, Dad. Nah, Auburn cut the lead to four in the second quarter, but if you watched the game, if you were watching it, it would stay, they were just in complete control. Uh, Tierra McCown with her 53rd career double-double. She led MSU with 22-10, and 10, named SEC Player of the Week today. Um, which is funny considering that a lot of social media message boards were lit up with, what's wrong with Tierra McGowan? Nothing. She, she averaging double-double. Uh, yeah, State was just in complete control, and, and Auburn didn't really give them much. Auburn was pretty good coming into that game, too. They were 14-2 and two, uh, looking for a signature win, but State dominated the game, were able to play the reserves most of the fourth quarter, and uh, move on to Thursday night, big game. South Carolina comes to the Humphrey Coliseum. Yeah, it is a big game. It's different than it's been in years past because South Carolina is ranked like 21st or 23rd or something like that. It's not number one versus two or number a, a top five matchup or anything like that. Um, largely because Asia Wilson is no longer on uh, on South Carolina's team. But uh, right, Don Staley's got yeah. them playing, so they're coming off a win. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, at LSU good. last weekend. 
they're, they're still good. They're just not the elite team that they've sure. been the past couple of years. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm with you on that front. All right, I, I know you know what the line is tonight for Florida and Mississippi State, but hey, Dad, if I um, if I picked you up and set you in uh, one of those thirtieth floor suites in Las Vegas, and your sole job was to uh, handicap games and set lines, what would you set the line tonight for Mississippi State hosting the Florida Gators? I would probably make State. A four to five point favorite. I, I, I wouldn't be too confident in that, but that's that seems about right based on what these two teams are, are doing right now. I mean, Florida can't score a whole lot. You know, they only yeah. average they, they average less than seventy points a game, but they're the best defensive team in the conference. State's averaging eighty points a game, so you know it's, something's got to give there. I think it's more of Florida's defense giving, so I, I would think State's going to be closer to eighty. So something like. 75, 70, something like that. It seems right to me. So well, I'd say four in, and a half. Yeah, largely the oh, – geez, it's like you cheated. The boys in the desert, yeah. uh, maybe the ladies in the desert as well, have Mississippi State as a four-and-a-half-point favorite well, over go. the Florida Gators in that game. So there you go. Uh, Rippy, if you had to set a line for Ole Miss and LSU tonight, what would it be? About a basket, maybe Ole Miss minus two and a half, something like that. Okay, you're not far off. You've uh, Las Vegas has it at three and a half, so Ole Miss a three and a half point favorite at home against uh, against LSU tonight. What's your your kind of general thought, Rippy, on this matchup tonight with the, the Rebels and LSU? Well, I think probably the biggest area I'd be looking at is kind of what you mentioned earlier. You know, Ole Miss isn't going to have at least defensively, much of an answer for Reed. Because, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many minutes Kermit Davis allocates to Bruce Stevens. Because he's going to have to play Dom, obviously. And Dom's been good for them lately. But Bruce Stevens is a defensive liability, has been up and down offensively. And he would seemingly be a better fit to go up against Reed because Reed can stretch the four a little. He doesn't shoot that many threes, but he's shown the ability to make them. And so they're going to need someone to kind of step out on him. And, and you know, he may use Buffin, he may use Henson some, but at 6'10", 250, that's not a very good matchup. So that's kind of the area I'd look at because LSU could really exploit it if if Bruce Stevens doesn't play well or Ole Miss doesn't find a way to kind of neutralize him to a degree. Similarly, hey, Dad, when you look at this game tonight for um, for, for Mississippi State, what do you think the, the storyline is? I want to see Weatherspoon and Peters be more facilitators. I mean, they're going to get their points for sure, but you know, against Ole Miss, they were they were good for more turnovers than they needed to be. So they need to find a way to to get their teammates involved in the offense and not take as many contested threes. You know, without passing the ball around, trying to run a little bit of offense. And I also want to see, you know, does Eric Holman step up a little bit defensively, like we talked about in yesterday's show? The, the guy he's guarding. The other team's power forward has gone for 51 points in the last two games, 26 and 25. Uh, that's not going to work. That? And that, it's Kotzer for uh, South Carolina and uh, Henson. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I, I thought you were talking about Florida's power forward. Yeah, so so Coates are for South Carolina and, yeah. then, and then Henson for Ole Miss. The guy that Holman is guarding. Yeah, I'm, 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 I may have made that a little bit uh, funky there, but uh, yeah. So I want to see if Holman can, you know, step up a little bit defensively. We know he got he has plenty of offense to give. Let's see if he can play a little bit better defensively. Can he get more shots offensively? 
if Peterson and, and Weatherspoon will involve him more in the offense, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, because he's not the guy bringing the ball up the court, it's difficult for him to, you know, if nobody's going to pass to him, he can't. And that's what something that, that Mississippi State needs to do. It's what Hallen talked about after the game on Saturday, about trusting your teammates. That's part of it right there. Weatherspoon and, and Peters have got to be able to be able to distribute more. Do you reach a point where the DNA of your team, oh, the phrase I hate kind of is what it is, that, that, that that's kind of who you are and you're going to live by Q Weatherspoon carrying you and Lamar Peters taking probably more shots than he should, and on a night when they're falling, that's great, and on a night when they're not falling, you're probably going to lose? I mean, or can you evolve genetically as a team to become a team that does a little bit better job sharing the basketball and moving the basketball to get better and more high-percentage shots? Well, that's what this team was doing in non-conference play. That's why they were able – you look back to the Clemson game and the way they were able to shoot the three balls because they had guys moving the ball around the perimeter and getting open looks, and then that's what was happening. And they just sort of gotten away from that a little bit in these first two conference games. So that's what they have to get back to. I think this team can evolve because they're veterans. You know, They've evolved a little bit this year. We, we talked about it earlier, the way they played uh, against Clemson versus the way they played against Cincinnati. Really had two different game plans and were able to execute them. So a veteran team like this, I expect them to be able to adapt throughout the season to what's working and what's not. Borky, based on the point spreads, who's more likely to pull the upset tonight? Florida as a four-and-a-half-point dog in Starkville or LSU as a three-and-a-half-point dog in Oxford? Well, the answer is LSU, right? Because purely from a talent standpoint, they're, they're just better equipped to win a game on the road, I think, than Florida is. Well, I watched Mike White's post-game press conference after the game this weekend, and demeanor doesn't mean everything. That guy looks defeated without any answers. And when you pair that with a team that's not as talented as LSU, you got to lean the Tigers, don't you? Yeah, I agree. I tend to agree with you. Yeah. And, uh, and what you would anticipate being a desperate Mississippi State team. We'll see if they play desperate tonight. That's something that I really want to watch in that game, especially in the first half. Sports Talk Mississippi, more with you in the Renaissance Bank studio after this. All right, what about crowds tonight? We talked some different hoops. Back and forth on what the crowd is going to be like in Starkville. Absolute packed house on Saturday. Hey, Dad, you said it would be smaller tonight. I don't think anybody disputes that. How much smaller, though? I would be surprised at more than six, to be totally honest with you. I mean, okay. and I think that would be that would be pretty high end, to, to, in my opinion. But but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, six o'clock tip makes it more difficult for the people from you know. From Jackson, so to make it up, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, I think it'll, I think it'll be a lot less, obviously. All right. So what's the happy medium? Because if you have a six o'clock tip, people talk about the fact that, well, yeah, it's really hard to make, you know, to to get off of work and to get there. But if you have an eight o'clock tip, people say, well, I can get there after work, but man, it's just so late getting home when I got to go to work tomorrow. I feel like people talked less about this when everybody played at seven o'clock, but only one game was on TV. Yeah, or or maybe well, you had a doubleheader back in, in the Jefferson Pilot on, days. Everybody played on on Wednesday, except for whoever had the Super Tuesday game. So it was just you know just easier. Hey, on Wednesday, I'm going to Starkville. I'm going to Oxford or whatever. I guess now it's you know there's games Tuesday, Wednesday, 
There's women's games on Monday and on Thursday. Then there's a game Saturday. There's just a lot of games, and you know, I'm, the women play a part in this too. A lot of people will probably are probably planning to make the trip on Thursday for the South Carolina game, and they don't want to do it twice in one week. Yeah, that's a real thing, uh, and, and that's not an issue that most places in the SEC have to deal with. Right. Tennessee draws really well for women's basketball, but if you remember our conversation with Dane Bradshaw a couple of weeks, he, he was talking about how well Tennessee was drawing for men's games this year. Yeah. And he pointed out that, that Tennessee has an advantage over places like Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Auburn and um, maybe even to some degree Arkansas in that Knoxville's a really big city and everybody yeah. in Knoxville's a Tennessee fan and it's easier to fill up an 18,000-seat arena when people drive 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Same with same with you know South Carolina. You know, Columbia is a big city. It so is it's easy. To, you know, it's easy to put people in in the stands there. Yeah. So so, so what's their excuse? <laughs> they built well, an I mean, arena two times the size it needed to be for one. Yeah, it did. Yeah. But right now, I mean, you know, they're they're on a little bit of a hot streak. So I don't know when their next home game is off the top of my head, but they might they might have a big crowd for that one. Yeah, eighteen thousand seats in uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. If it was just for Carolina basketball, then you build that as a 9,500 or 10,000-seat arena. The fact is they're bringing concerts and monster trucks and everything else. Yeah, like Hootie and the Blowfish, who's back on tour this year. Hootie and the Blowfish is playing there. They've got an NCAA men's basketball regional there this year. And coming up in a couple of weeks, James Taylor and Bonnie Raitt. You think 18,000 people go to watch monster trucks? Yes. Yes, yes. If it's the right like trucks, yes. Watch you one of those. Oh, oh yeah. That'd like, be a really good spot. Like a state fair type of deal. That's my favorite part about an airport. It's people watching. Is the monster trucks? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I haven't seen a monster truck in an airport yet. The uh, hey, when you fly into Knoxville, grave digger through an airport. But go ahead. <laughs> when you fly into Knoxville and you're walking out, they've got boats in the uh, in the airport there. Oh, there you go. It's like a local marina company, and they're advertising their ski boat. They have a big old boat parked right in the middle. They got a of lot it. of boats in, in Knoxville because they got the uh, you know, they got the boat tailgating out there too. They do the Vol Navy, I think it's yeah. referred to. Yeah. Um, same thing on the attendance for Ole Miss. Everybody immediately after the Mississippi State game, everybody's reaction was, "Oh, it's going to be completely sold out." Well, it's not completely sold out. The lower bowl is sold out. There are, I don't know, a thousand or so tickets available in the upper deck. How good will the well, crowd be tonight? Well, it is now. Uh, yeah. Somebody came in and, and bought up the rest of the tickets so they could give them away for free. So every seat has been given to somebody. Whether or not they show is a different story, but really? every ticket has been distributed. When did that happen? Like About an hour 20 ago? minutes. Yeah, not very long ago. We got any details on that story? And pull something up for you. See if I can't find out the exact names. So it I says the booster's research. name was Jane Cross. I don't know who she is, but <laughs> Man, I hope it was a good day at the store. Then, if she did that, <laughs> I hope it Lee was a good day. And Mike McGartland, McGarland. All right, Rippy. Uh, did you say you had details? Oh, by that I mean I put up the tweet. Okay, which is what you read. You. Yeah. So what were the names again, Morgan? Lee and Mike, I think McGarland, M-C-G-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, McGartland. Okay, well, good for them. Bought up the rest of the tickets and gave them out for free, and they've all been claimed. Who'd they give them to? On, it was on the website. You could go on and claim them for free, as I understand it. 
pick them up at Tad Smith until 5 p.m. and the pavilion beginning at 6 p.m. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so maybe it will be a packed house tonight, or close to packed house. That's pretty cool. Um, let's switch gears for a second. This uh, this transfer portal, the database, as Borky wants it to be called, the list, as uh, as Hey Dad wants it to be called, it's out there. Players submit their names if they want to transfer. Uh, they're able to do so. It doesn't necessarily mean you won't sit out, but nobody can block you transferring. Bunch of quarterbacks in this group. Kelly Bryant has said he's going to Missouri. Justin Fields to Ohio State. Ben Hicks, this was announced, uh, I guess, over the weekend, um, leaving SMU, going to Arkansas. Got a guy leaving Boston College to go to Rutgers. It's kind of all the big names on there. Sean Robinson. Why, if you are leaving TCU, would you transfer to Missouri when Kelly Bryant's already also transferring to Missouri? I assume he's not a graduate transfer. Yeah, he okay. might have the. Uh, the yeah, he's only to... played two years, so he's not a graduate transfer. So he'll sit out, redshirt, and then when Bryant's gone, presumably step in as the starter. All right, so um, so so quarterbacks that are still out there: Ross Bowers transferring from Cal, Jalen Hurts, biggest name on the list, DeAndre Johnson leaving FAU, Austin Kendall leaving Oklahoma, presumably, Tate Martell. Out of Ohio State, Johnny Pabst, nice name, out of Indiana, and Ty Story leaving Arkansas. So, hey, Dad, Mississippi State's been discussed as being in the transfer portal quarterback market. <laughs> I just had to add portal. Um, anybody on that list make sense? Yeah, a few names. I mean, Hertz would make a ton of sense, obviously. Uh, but that said, it, it, it looks like MSU, it, it, right now, it looks like they're going to take a pass on this. I, I don't know what made Kelly Bryant so attractive that didn't make you know somebody like Hertz or one of these other guys attractive to Joe Moorhead. But I haven't heard any rumblings, and there hasn't been any, any talk about this, that about a, a transfer adding to, the, to this, uh, this signing class or however you want to look at it. So it looks like MSU is going to stand pat and, and go forward into the spring with Thompson, Maiden, and Schrader as their quarterback depth chart. It didn't really ever feel like Jalen Hurts was a possibility, though, did it? No, it didn't. I mean, it's but, been I mean, Miami, that, Oklahoma, you know, yeah, I think he's going to get out of the SEC. All yeah, I think he's going to get out of the SEC. But, I mean, I would kick the tires a little bit. Just, you know, Mississippi State was his second choice in recruiting. He, he picked Alabama over MSU. Of course, that was with Dan Mullen. I thought that Florida would have been a great choice for, for Jalen Hurts personally. I think with Mullen, he would be a superstar in that offense. But he, I, I honestly think that he – is such a Bama guy. This is just my personal opinion. I obviously, obviously haven't talked to him. That he, I think he just wants to get out of the conference. He doesn't want to, you know, if he sees Alabama, it'll be in a national championship game if he goes that route. So, yeah, I, I don't think Hurts is coming to Mississippi State, but I, it wouldn't hurt to make a phone call. I'd say that. You guys remember all the hullabaloo uh, surrounding the recruitment of Drew Richmond, offensive lineman yeah. out of Memphis, five-star guy, kind of. He was, you know, wore the funny glasses and the bow tie and was interesting deal. Um, Butch Jones able to get him to Tennessee. And now he's transferring out of Knoxville. This is a guy that was a starter on the offensive line last year for Tennessee. That's kind of a weird deal. Yeah. Mississippi State has one now. Uh, it just got reported by uh, 24-7 Sports. Robbie Falk breaks that MSU backup tight end Christian Roberson is in the transfer portal. So, yeah, it's different than a starter, State, though, man. I mean, a starting tackle yeah. at Tennessee doesn't like Pruitt. I mean, that's that's the first when when I when I hear that, I think new coach. What ha- it's the first thing that's got to pop in your head, right? Didn't like Pruitt. Do y'all so, think he'll the have Hicks a market for his is, services, though? 
Do y'all think the Hicks news is kind of under the radar significant? Because he's worked with Morris before, and he put up monster numbers. Granted, different conference. Wait, who are you talking about? Ben Hicks going to Arkansas, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, broke oh, their all-time SMU. passing yard record, uh, just over three thousand yards a year, I think, at SMU. I mean, so he just, was he was good, but he, he put up big numbers, like you said, in a weaker conference. And Arkansas, they just don't have the talent yet. I mean, they're having a good recruiting year, so they're building. But for twenty nineteen, I mean, he'll they'll be better. But I mean, what is better from two and eight to four and eight? I'm for two and ten to four and eight, something like that. I, I don't see a big jump for Arkansas. His best year at SMU was his last year with Chad Morris. Threw for a little over 3,500 yards and 33 touchdowns. I mean, that's got Ben Hicks starting at quarterback at Arkansas written all over it, doesn't it? I mean, they lost yeah, their two saying. other ones, right? That would be, yeah. Yeah, because what? Uh, Stories in the story portal, and then, and then the other guy has no Paul shot. Kelly? Yeah. Wait, was Ty Story the guy that who was the other quarterback at Arkansas? Colt Connor Noland, and then they had Cole Kelly. Cole Wait, Kelly so Ty was Story the... was the starter that got knocked out of the Ole Miss game. Yes, yes. Hmm. Interesting times in Fayetteville. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 20 years ago today, Varsity Blues released in theaters. Film opened at number one in North America, made $17.5 million the opening weekend. Then the earnings declined, but uh, it stayed in the top, the top spot for another week. Borky, movie critics didn't really like it, though, did they? No, because movie critics are the single most miserable collection of people on the entire planet. Apologies if you're a movie critic listening. I just don't understand your existence. Wouldn't some people say sports writers are? They're number two. Say, have you not have you not meant a, met a beat writer? Well, I don't really... I, luckily, the because of <laughs> where... Said, Thankfully, no. <laughs> because of where I live, I don't, I don't get the opportunity to go cover games, and so I don't have to spend time around you people. So it's kind of nice. I stay happy because of it. But what do you no, mean, I mean, you people? Oh, you you Hold heard what I said. You're not really all that happy, though. I can't imagine how miserable you would be <laughs> if you did spend lots of time around beat writers. No, I, but I mean, look at take any comedy you can think of, and look at the critic scores on those movies. It's like these people expected some like transcendent emotional roller coaster. Instead, they got a movie with fart jokes for an hour and a half when that's what you should have expected going into it. It's uh, unbelievable how that movie didn't do well in critics. Like Big Daddy didn't do very well. Billy Madison didn't do well on Rotten Tomatoes. Has like a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Are you kidding me? Caddyshack was a disaster. Yeah, critics hated Caddyshack, and it's still funny that humor holds up to this day, like 40 years later. I can say to you with 100% certainty, like not even a tenth of a percent of the other way, I have never watched or not watched a movie because of what a movie critic said about it. I don't read them. Or because of what Rotten Tomatoes said about it. Critical reception, film has a 40% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Predictable football movie that lacks intensity. Roger Ebert noted in his Chicago Sun-Times review that 
Scenes work, but they don't pile up and build momentum. Real Views said it takes a worthwhile detour or two. It ultimately finds its way back to the well-worn track of its genre. I mean, what the heck do you want it to do? <laughs> I tell, I'm telling you, they want a high school football movie to give them an emotional feeling other than high school football movie. Hey, Dad, were you a fan of Varsity Blues? Who is not a fan of Varsity Blues? What's what your favorite person? scene in the entire movie? Um, I'm going to let you guess my favorite scene in the entire movie. Okay, aside from the whipped cream bikini, what is your favorite scene in the entire movie? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's just something about I don't want your life. I mean, that that's probably the most quotable line from that movie, but it cracks me up every time I hear it. I love the scene where they're going to school in the morning and Billy Bob jumps in the back of the truck with his pig. And a pancake in his hand with some syrup. <laughs> it's like a pancake rolled up and he's squirting syrup into his syrup mouth. Right in his mouth. God. I like the the pissing match between the dads that with the can on the head and the kid just gets drilled in the face. Yeah, well, it was not the kid; the dad, it's the, the dad. The dad, yes. Yeah, it's like, come on, John, come on, Mox, show him you can do it. Oh, come on, Dad, I don't want to play. And then it was like, whoop. But but then the payoff on that scene doesn't come until later in the movie because the dad just thinks that Mox doesn't know where he's throwing it, and then he turns and watches him whip one off the mascot's face and knock the guy off the horse, and then he kind of grabs at his nose. It's like, oh, I get it now. Dad, I don't want your life. And then you got the little side script of the little crazy brother who's like trying to join a cult or start a cult. Great movie. It's perfect for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some, you know, not every movie is going to win Best Picture. Some movies are just meant to be fun. Was and, the mom, and, was Mox's mom like a good mom or was she a lush? Like like the scene where the, that Rippy points out where he throws the football and busts the dad in the nose at the barbecue scene. They go to slow-mo and she's like sloshing a drink. It's like, come on, Mox! Not sure what she really was in that movie. <laughs> Fire that pigskin! <coughs> Gosh. Oh gracious! Can we just can can we just all agree? And uh, Borky, this may have been exactly what you said. So forgive me for stealing what you just said. But I'm a hundred percent on board with you. Not all movies are made to win Academy Awards. I mean, you got to be called like the piano to win an Academy Award or something. It's supposed to be entertainment. Isn't people say that uh, American Beauty, that's the worst movie ever that actually won an Academy Award that had Kevin Spacey in it? Is that what it was called, American Beauty? He was in that. I didn't realize it was the worst movie ever. Well, I mean, I've heard people say... Of the Academy Award winners, that might be the best. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. I love that dog. It's a pig. Yeah. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Tell you a little bit more about Mississippi Land Bank coming up. But right now, we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team. Familiar name, familiar voice on your radio right now, Hugh Kellenberger, who is now with The Athletic. He's the executive editor of The Athletic's college basketball coverage Hugh, how's it been with The Athletic? I I just got to tell you from a subscriber standpoint, you didn't ask me to say this. I'll I'll give that disclaimer. I absolutely love it. Is it fun working there? It it is exactly as fun as you would think it would be um, to get up every day and get to do quality work and work with the the best people in the business, from from Seth Davis and Dana O'Neill on down, um, Ken Rosenthal and everybody else. It's it's been awesome. Well, good for you. I'm happy for you that uh, that you're in a spot that you're really happy on a daily basis. And getting to cover college basketball, which I know has always been your love, I'm sure because you follow college basketball closely, you predicted, like most everybody else did, that Ole Miss was going to get off to a 3-0 start in the SEC and they were going to have 13 wins and they were going to be one of the biggest stories in the entire country, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, back in St. Louis last March when they were, you know, going down on Wednesday night of the SEC tournament, everybody looked at that team and said, I bet you they're going to be the top 15 come next, you know, January. Yeah. Well, what about this story? When you look at the college basketball season on its whole to this point, is this one of the more remarkable stories of the season to this point so far? Yeah, I think so, because typically what you see are, are gradual builds. Um, this is probably the close, probably the closest comparable to what is happening in Ole Miss right now is what happened at Texas Tech when they hired Chris Beard. And they went from kind of a middling program to all of a sudden it was a different brand of basketball being played, and not necessarily by guys that were the most highly recruited, but but a coach was able to impart a vision and get the guys to buy in. And I think that's what's happened at Ole Miss to what Kermit Davis has done. You know, Brian Tyree, Terrence Davis, you know, on down the line, every guy has turned into the best versions of themselves. And and these are mostly holdovers. There's a couple of new guys that are doing well, but for the most part, these are a lot of guys that all the things that Andy Kennedy dreamed they were going to be and they weren't quite what he dreamed they were going to be, they've turned into those players now. Um, and, and that's a credit to what Kerman has done and um, convincing them they're playing great defense, they're shooting a ton of threes, um, they play a really entertaining brand of basketball. It, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, it, it, we'll see if it's able to continue. I, I guess that would be kind of my, my final question about Ole Miss for you. As you look at the SEC and, and you look at this Ole Miss team in specific, can they continue? And I don't mean can they be undefeated, but can they continue to trend in this direction to 11 or 12 wins in the conference and, and find themselves in the NCAA tournament? Um, 11 or 12 wins may be a tall ask, but I also don't know if they need that many to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, 9 okay. or 10 may do it with as good as the SEC is. Um, if you can get to that 500 range, you're, you may need to win a game or two in the SEC tournament, but you're going to be in a pretty good position. And they help themselves. It's not like they beat the 13th and 14th best teams in the SEC in the 3-0 streak. You know, at Vanderbilt, is that's a pretty good win. 
but Auburn and Mississippi State, especially Mississippi State on the road, those are those quadrant one wins that you know are going to force the committee to pay attention to you. Yeah, uh, really interesting stuff. Hugh Kellenberger on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at KellenbergerCBB. He's the executive editor of college basketball at The Athletic. Let's take the, the SEC thing a, a step farther. You, you've heard the cliches that coaches give you on a year-in, year-out basis. Oh, you can lose any game on any night. And usually that's just not true. You, usually there are a handful of teams at the bottom of the league that unless you just absolutely lay an egg, you're not losing that game. With the exception of, of Tennessee kind of playing just about anybody, it, is that a true cliche this year that anybody in the SEC can beat any other team on any night? I think it is only because of this, and this is the part that the coaches never really truly admit. They're dealing with, by and large, 19, 21-year-old kids. And to get them to play at that level every night, especially if they're on the road, like it, it's easy to get yourself caught. That that's the part of it. It's easy as much as you can talk to your blue in the face of, hey, we got to really watch out for Missouri. They know they're they're looking at the same tape, and they can kind of go, ah, our B minus game may be good enough tonight, and if maybe it would be, but if Missouri comes out with their A game. They can beat you. That's that's the problem. And and the league is devoid of anyone who's just a mess. That was the big problem with the SEC earlier this decade. It was not just that there were a lack of really, truly quality teams. There were multiple teams that just they showed up to the arena and you'd watch them in warm-ups. You'd go, these guys don't like each other. They don't appear to be particularly well coached. They don't have a shot tonight. Everyone in the league is at least competent. And if they're, you're at least competent, you have a shot. Who's the one player that you would pay? If, if you could only pick one, the one player that you would pay money to watch in all of college basketball this year? <laughs> the answer is Zion, right? Well, I think so. Although Marquette's got a guy who's kind of making a case. Yeah, Mar- Marcus Howard is really good. Um, his games are a little bit harder to watch. You got to go to like FS1 or something like that to get the Big East games. But he, I would definitely recommend him. Zion Williamson's just a delight. But but the thing about about him is that everything he does, you're going to see pop up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything else. So you almost don't have to watch the Duke game to find out what he's doing. Um, I, I'll tell you if. Sneaky deep cut if you're up late. Um, love watching Gonzaga. And I love watching Tennessee. Admiral Schofield is a great, great player to watch. Really entertaining. Kind of has that Draymond Green kind of uh, attitude to his game, but he can shoot. Grant Williams is really good. They're fun to watch, too. Schofield's a nicer guy than Draymond Green, though. may not play that way, but like if you, if you yeah. get away from the floor, I think he's like a better human being. Yeah, I think he's a better human being, but if you go to that Tennessee-Gonzaga game when he was just draining threes and really just pouring it into Gonzaga fans' faces, trash-talking throughout the whole game, you know, leading the gator chop, um, you know, the other night to the Florida fans, you know, I, I there's an edge to him. There certainly is that. How concerned, and this is kind of from a national perspective, should Duke fans be all of a sudden with the injury? Because the the thing that, that popped up to me in, in a great game last night with, with Syracuse and Duke at Cameron, Duke's a different team without uh, without Jones on the floor, their, their point guard. 
Yeah, and and they have a really tough one on Saturday with Virginia. Their pack line defense is going to make it yeah. really hard. So second straight game where it's going to be really hard to get Zion Williamson the ball in the spots where he wants it, and his struggles with shooting the three are magnified because late last night against Syracuse, you saw they just had they had a hard time. No, there were multiple guys on the floor who did not want the ball. Um, it resulted in R.J. Barrett taking a lot of bad shots. Jack White was like 0 of 10 from 3. And those are things that if you have Trey Jones, he's a guy that you feel comfortable, even as a freshman halfway through the season, he's going to make the right decisions against Virginia and that really stingy defense that's going to slow you down, not give you a lot of possessions on offense. You really want him to break things down. So, I mean, they're gonna. It's gonna be an issue. We're gonna see. You know, can I would bet they put the ball in R.J. Barrett's hands and try to see if he can't make some plays for him because they don't really have a backup point guard. How many legit Final Four contenders are there in the SEC? At, at this point, you know, you never say never to anybody. Um, I've said since the beginning of the season, Tennessee was my national championship pick. I still think they're there. Okay. Auburn is close. All, the thing with Auburn is that they have to bring the same effort every night. They're not so talented as to rely on talent alone. Um, and, you know, I think that kind of caught them at Ole Miss. You know, I don't. they didn't match Ole Miss's effort level. Um, so they're – they could get there, but they could also drop an early game if, if they don't have the right mindset. After that, it's it's who gets hot. I, I you know I think we see it every year with you know the Final Four has three teams that are really really good, and we all saw come in, and then there's one team that just did all the right things: a South Carolina, Loyola, somebody like that, and and you know it, it's hard to see those teams coming, or they'd be picked a lot higher than a nine, ten, yeah. eleven seed. Yeah. Hey, last thing, Hugh. You've got less than a minute remaining. How concerned are you about Mississippi State right now, sitting at zero and two in the league? Huge game tonight, hosting Florida. Can they get things back on track and, and be the team we thought they were going to be? Yeah, I think they can. The offense has been fine. You know, you see, what they, they've been in the high seventies, low eighties both games. Teams are just making a ton of threes on them right now, and that stuff kind of will look for us to the mean. I, I, Mississippi State's too talented to there be anything seriously wrong. It's just some breaks have not fallen their way. Okay. Hugh, really appreciate your time. Hope we can do this again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. It's Hugh Kellenberger from The Athletic. Kellenberger CBB on Twitter. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming supertalk.fm on this Tuesday afternoon. A little doubleheader of hoops in the Magnolia State tonight. Mississippi State, Florida. Get things started at 6 o'clock in Starkville. Then at 8, it is Ole Miss and LSU from the Pavilion. On your radio right now, our good buddy David Brandt from the Associated Press. DB, what's up, man? What's up? How are you? I'm great. Um, did you anticipate this basketball season going this way? Um, you know, from a Mississippi State standpoint, I, I certainly thought that State had a chance to be pretty good this year, but no, I, I did not see 
uh, Ole Miss being this good this quickly. I, I knew Kermit Davis uh, obviously had a good reputation as a coach, but I, I thought there'd be a little more rebuilding involved. Let's start in Starkville. Mississippi State, um, you know, going into league play has only one loss on their resume. It's the, the neutral site loss against Arizona State. They've got a pretty good home win against Cincinnati, and that was one of those where it was kind of a kind of a fight, and they kind of passed the test of being physical and being able to play good defense to get a win against a, a really solid team. But an 0-2 start in league play, not a hole that you can't dig yourselves out of. What do you need to see from Mississippi State to believe that they can start digging themselves out and they can kind of turn into the team we thought they were going to be? Well, I, I still think they're pretty good, and, and obviously their first two losses both came down. You know, South Carolina was in overtime. Uh, the old Miss game was tied in the final minute. So what, what I think has got to happen is I think State is very good, but they're not going to necessarily pull out a lot of teams. So I want to see better decision-making late. Um, you know, I, I think that Lamar Peters, Quindary Weatherspoon, put up some quick shots in the final minute or two in that old Miss game when really, you know, they should have trusted each other a little more, worked it around a little bit, found a better shot than what they've got. And so, you know, Ben Howland has talked a lot about that there's been a few too many turnovers, especially in key situations. And then I think defense is another thing. I think this is a team, as long as Ben Howland is a coach, he's always prided himself on good man-to-man defense. And, you know, obviously when old Miss goes for whatever it was, I believe 81 points, uh, on Saturday, that, that's quite a few, especially on your own home floor. So, um, sure with the defense a little bit, I'd, I'd like to see better decision-making late, but this is a team that I think needs to make small tweaks. It's, it's not like a huge makeover. I think they've got the pieces. You know, when, when they were going through that stretch after the Arizona State game, when they, when they beat Clemson, when they beat Cincinnati at home, they were shooting the ball really, really well from three. And, and there were some crazy shooting numbers, you know, 40% from, from deep and, you know, through, through that stretch of games. They don't shoot it well from three uh, against Ole Miss on Saturday. So, so what are they as a team? Is, is it just kind of somewhere in the middle from a shooting standpoint? Right. I think they're a solid three-point shooting team. And, and any time, you know, any coach will tell you this, when you shoot, you know, 45% from three-point range when you make 12 or 13 in the night, it can mask a lot of deficiencies. And, you know, it's hard to count on that kind of shooting every single night. Certainly you'll take it when it comes, and and you hope it happens more than not. You're going to have some nights where you go, you know, 9 of 29 or, or, you know, 7 of 23 from three-pointer. And and you've got to find other ways to – to get off it. You've got to work the ball down to Eric Holden. You've got to drive to the basket a little more. You've got to hold the other team uh, maybe to 65 points or something like that. So I, I think that's kind of the mark of a good team because I think just about anybody could go out and win a game when you make 15 three-pointers. I mean, that, that's you know that's kind of ideal. But it's those games where the, the shot's not falling necessarily like against Ole Miss, like against South Carolina, where you just kind of have an average night. Can you somehow find a way to grind out a win, and, and so far they haven't been able to do that in SEC play. We'll see if they're able to do that tonight against a Florida team that uh, has been in some close games and has not looked great. Let's flip over from Starkville to uh, to Oxford. David Brandt on your radio, writes the AP, covers sports, college sports primarily, but sports in the Magnolia State. Ole Miss LSU, this matchup tonight is an interesting one, and, and I think part of the reason that it's interesting is because LSU kind of present some challenges, um, especially with Nas Reed down low. Uh, th- this guy, who's a true freshman, 
I mean, kind of like you when you were a true freshman in college, David. 6'10", 250, and coming off a 27-point perform, uh, performance where you went 4-4 four four from behind the arc and hit 10 of 12 shots. Boy, I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> I've shrunk since then, but yes, I remember them. Right. I mean, LSU is a supremely talented team. And, and that's, you know, I think one thing that bodes well for uh, Ole Miss is that, you know, they see some pretty good post players. And, and they've managed, even though that they're not incredibly talented down low, I think Dominic Oladicek is quite better and has is, is been very useful, plays good team defense. Uh, you know, Bruce Stevens has his moments. Uh, you know, Blake Henson, K.J. Buffett, those guys are at least willing to bang down low and, and work for rebounds. So there's no question, Ole Miss will, will be at a disadvantage at the post. But they were at a disadvantage at the post at the end Starkville on Saturday. They're going to be at a disadvantage at the post most times. So what, what you've got to do is they've got good guard play. You've got to dominate those positions. Um, and then you've just got to compete down low. And, and so far they were able to do that against Auburn and Mississippi State to kind of mitigate those weaknesses. And, and they're going to have to do a lot of the same things tonight against LSU. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this Ole Miss team is that in each of the three SEC games, it's been a different guy who was the star. It was Tyree uh, against Vanderbilt, where he goes for a career-high 31. Uh, against Auburn, it was Terrence Davis going for 27. And then uh, you have Blake Henson go for 26 uh, against Mississippi State. To, to me, that's a nice recipe for success when, okay, yeah, you know you've got Terrence Davis and you know you've got Tyree, but you've got some other guys who have the potential to kind of put up big numbers also. Right. You've got at least probably, you know, four guys. I would throw Shuler in there, too, Devontae Shuler, and, and guys that could give you, you know, 20-plus points a night, given the right situation. And, and you could make defenses have to cover more than one person, especially on the three-point line. I think one thing that makes this Ole Miss team dangerous is you look at just their shooting percentages across the board are very, very good. They, they shoot it well from inside the arc, they shoot it well from behind the arc, they shoot it well from the free throw line, uh, their offensive efficiency from the guards, and, and even like a Bruce Stevens could step out and hit a three-pointer from time to time. So, you know, I, I just think that this is a team that, even though they may not have, uh, you know, a lottery pick, a, a super-duper star, uh, they do have a lot of guys that they're going to give a night, and that's how they've been doing it so far. Yeah, when you talk about those efficiency numbers, and, and I know sometimes people get lost when you start talking about offensive and defensive efficiency, Ole Miss has the, the 25th best adjusted offensive efficiency in the country, according to uh, Ken Palm. And it's been kind of interesting to, to follow. It's usually a pretty good predictor of outcomes and kind of taking a long-range look. It's been interesting to watch after Ole Miss has won three games in a row to start league play, some of those win percentage chances increase, and also the overall projection of their league record go all the way to twelve and six. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times I understand you know people's eyes kind of gloss over when you start talking about advanced metrics, but really, you know, offensive efficiency is not obviously it's it's sort of a new statistic, but it's really not that complicated. It's a lot of you know true shooting percentages. How many points? are you averaging per possession during your games? You know, basically, how efficient are you on each possession? And, and I think that's a it's a really good indicator at all those different percentages. And after, you know, Ole Miss has played, what now, 15, 16 games? So there's a pretty good sample size, too, 
and this is a team that it's a credit to Andy Kennedy too. You know, obviously last year got away from them. They were they were really bad down the stretch last year, but you know the cupboard was not there. These are these are good players. This isn't smoke and mirrors. You know, Terrence Davis has been doing it for a long time. Bree and Tyrese played a lot of games. You know, Kennedy recruited Schuler. These are these are good players. I think you know Kermit Davis has put his own twist on there. Uh, with Henderson and Buffalo, they just kind of valuing possessions more, and, and you really see a talented team. So I, I think that Ole Miss, there is probably some sort of regression due. I don't know if this team's going to go 18-0 in a CC play, but, um, you know, I, I think at this point, I, I think it's fair to say that the Rebels are for real. When you say for real, does that mean, and I know, you're a reporter, not necessarily a columnist, but but when you look at their body of work to this point and kind of project what's coming, do you think they're a team that is a bubble conversation team or completely on the outside or completely on the inside when we get to mid-March? Oh, I, I think right now they're definitely in the running, definitely on the bubble. You know, I, I it, it's so early it's hard to say, you know, totally in, totally out, but they have put themselves squarely in position and with the three and zero after three games, I think something like eleven and seven in the league is is really doable. And, and if you can get to that mark, I think especially with the strength across the board of the league, you got a really good chance to get to the tournament. They've got LSU tonight, and then have Arkansas at home on Saturday before going to Alabama and then hosting Iowa State. Those are the next four for Ole Miss. David, really appreciate your time, man. Good visiting with you. Yeah, absolutely. Headed up to Oxford now, so it should be a good one. All right, we'll see you tonight. That's David Brandt from the Associated Press on Sports Talk Mississippi with you Tuesday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. A couple of things you need to know about coming up. One, Families First for Mississippi is hosting a car seat inspection event in Meridian, on Thursday from 1 to 4, the JT Show will be there live starting at 10 a.m. at the Resource Center. The address is 3128 8th Street in the Magnolia Plaza in Meridian. They're asking for donations to help keep children safe. They'll accept new car seats or monetary donations for this event. You can contact your local center to drop off a new car seat, or you can donate online toward this initiative at this website, MSCEC. Dot org slash donate. And don't forget you can subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and it's now available on Spotify. Search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on your device anywhere, anytime. And don't forget you can get the Thunder and Lightning podcast there with Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman. Borky mentioned this beginning of the show today, and this strikes me as a really Really big deal. First of all, tip of the cap to the good folks at Sanderson Farms. They had a lot of chicken comes out of Sanderson Farms. But Joe Sanderson and the, the folks there have made a commitment to, to really two things. One, to golf in the state of Mississippi. And two, to Batson Children's Hospital. So Children's of Mississippi at UMMC, the Blair E. Batson Children's Hospital. So by saying we're going to support this golf event and give it some stability by signing a long-term sponsorship to the golf tournament, they gave the Mississippi PGA event stability. 
and what is it, Century Club Charities, um, that's kind of the, the charitable arm behind it, has done a really good job raising a ton of money for Batson. So, with those two things as the backdrop, this is a really big deal. Sanderson Farms Championship is moving from late October to mid-September. September 16th through the 22nd this year coming up. Still be at CCJ in Jackson. Purse goes from 4.4 million to 6.6 million. That puts the Sanderson Farms Championship on a level playing field with other big golf tournaments all over the country in purse size. And not only that, a full allocation of FedEx points. So it's not a partial allocation. If you win this, you get the full complement of FedEx points. And if you win this golf tournament, you get to go to Augusta in April. And it's a standalone. No WGC on the other side of the schedule taking the top 50 players in the world. So what had to happen to allow these things to happen? For it not to have, for it not to be one, an opposite field event, two, for it to bump the overall purse by $2.2 million to get that Masters automatic invitation as part of the, the winner's incentive. Do, do we know much about the background on, on what has allowed this to happen? It's a better question for you, Rippy. I mean, I'll, no, I do not. I, I, I don't know exactly what has gone into it. Um, I, If I was guessing, I would imagine it's it's the way the tournament's gone, kind of the way it's been. I think it's probably a testament to the way it's been ran. They've seemingly gotten a stronger and stronger field the last couple of years. It seems like the players like the course. It seems like they like the way it's kept up in the greens and all of that. And... I think maybe one of the hesitations, not hesitations, one of the uncertainties when they moved it from Annandale to Jackson Country Club would, how would they handle the space and the facilities? And I don't mean facilities that they're not nice enough, but CCJ is more condensed than Annandale was, like where you're going to put the grandstands and things like that. And that seemingly has worked out really well. And so that's the best thing I can come up with. I'm sure there's a much better sound reason, but look. I was just looking at some of the other tournaments on tour. So the um, at the end of this month in January, you have the uh, the tournament at Torrey Pines at La Jolla. Total purse for that tournament seven point one million. Um, the Waste Management Open seven point one million. The tournament after the Masters, the RBC Heritage at Harbor Town in Hilton Head. The purse for that is six point nine million. That's only three hundred thousand dollars difference. So, getting this purse to six point six million dollars, yeah, it's not as much as they have at the Players Championship. It's not as much as a major. It's not what the Memorial has for its total purse. But in the week to week regular golf tournaments on the PGA Tour, this is now right there with those other tournaments, and should attract some players. I think it's a really big deal. Sports Talk Mississippi. So tip of the cap to all the folks associated with the Sanderson Farms Championship. 
Here we go, 5 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride on this Tuesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad was with us for the first hour and a half, and then he said, Later, boys! He was headed to the hump. Mississippi State and Florida tip off in a little less than an hour. And oh, by the way, if you're watching that game tonight, broadcast crew is uh, Tom Hart and John Sunvold and Andy Kennedy. Well, three-man booth tonight in uh, in Starkville. How about that? You're a TV guy. What do you think about three men on a basketball game? Uh, you got to be real careful. Too many cooks, or or what is the case there? No, it can be good. I mean, I think it can be good if you've got good chemistry and you don't have a whole lot of talking on top of each other. I mean, half the time we do four on a radio show. Yeah, but we're always talking on top of each other. Just kidding. (laughs) Easy. Easy. Now, we don't do that at all for a four-man team, based on what I hear around the country anyway. Yeah. Certainly try not to. I mean, that, that's that's the, the biggest challenge with having multiple people is it's a really hard listen if you get two people talking at the same time. And that's something you have to work really hard to avoid when they're just two of you. Like, I'm working with Andy Kennedy this past Sunday, and, you know, it was only a couple of times. But that's a couple of times too many if you're trying to be perfect and you don't want to talk on top of each other. Two pretty different personalities. I think John Sunvold is a really, really, really good analyst. And I think Andy Kennedy sees the game in a pretty unique way as well. But from a personality standpoint, those two guys are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Sunvold's pretty pretty low-key. And AK is obviously funny and, you know, a little bit bigger of a personality. So it'll be neat to see how that goes. Um. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got equipment needs, maybe it's time to get a new tractor, or maybe it is time to buy a new combine, or spreader, or some other equipment, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe you need to refinance an existing loan. Mississippi Land Bank can help. What about crop loans? You know, you have to do that on an annual basis, just year to year. Got to do it. Mississippi Land Bank can help. And maybe you're buying a piece of property to enlarge the size of the farm, or you've been leasing land and the opportunities come up to buy it. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that is related to it for over 100 years. At Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi or grab a phone number at their website, mslandbank.com. Right now it is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. You can stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive. Oh, there's a lot you can test drive. What would I recommend? Probably the F-150. Best-selling truck in America for 42 straight years. I'm a proponent. That's what I drive. And I love it. And I've had several of them, and I don't have any desire to have anything different. There's a reason it's the best-selling truck in America. It's because it's the best truck in America. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. 
you'll want to take one home. So we talked about Mississippi State being kind of in the semi-market for a transfer quarterback. It seems to have settled a bit. They were certainly interested in Kelly Bryant. When he was on the market, Bryant decided he was going to Missouri. Vegas, had you believe, because of the odds that they were putting out on different transfer quarterbacks as to where they might go, that Mississippi State was in the running to get Brandon Wimbush, the former starter at Notre Dame, who lost his job to um, Ian Book. Why do I want to call him Noah? Because Noah Book reason, sounds better than Ian Book. I've wanted to call him Noah Book since the beginning, and I don't know why. Ian Book won that starting job, and Notre Dame became a different team. Wimbush started 12 games a year ago, started the season this year, but was replaced by Book after three weeks. Still decent numbers, 12-3 and three in 15 games, threw for 719 yards and four touchdowns, six picks this year. Um, a year ago, threw for almost 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, six picks, and ran it for 803 yards. He's going to UCF. What should we make of that? They don't immediate- expect uh, Mackenzie yeah. Milton to be back and healthy in 2019. Are we ever going to see Mackenzie Milton play football again? For his, uh, Hopefully so, J- just because that means he recovers fully and all of that. He is doing uh, with minimal weight and, and some assistance, but he is able to use a leg press machine with that injured leg already. Hmm. That's pretty incredible. It's a good sign. Absolutely, it's a good sign. But that's what that tells me, though. That tells me that they don't expect him back and, and they need somebody to, to plug and play right away, but I was surprised that that's where he ended up going. I mean, maybe he didn't have any other prospects elsewhere, but I I can imagine there are some Power 5 schools that need a quarterback to be able to play immediately, and, and he went to UCF. I don't know if that means that, hey, maybe UCF really is a, a program that's here now, or he just made a choice to go live in a good part of Florida for a while. Yeah, I guess so. Um, if you're Wimbush, though, you, you've got options. You're not going somewhere where you don't feel like there's a really, really good chance you're going to be the starter, right? Right. You don't grad transfer to not play. That's why when everybody was saying when um, Joe Burrow transferred to LSU, it was, oh, well, there's still a quarterback competition there. He hasn't won that job. It's like, guys... He won the job the day he signed the papers. He's not going there without being the starting quarterback. Same thing in this situation. Well, we've also seen it go the other way with a Notre Dame quarterback, though. Malik Zaire? Malik Zaire, two years ago, transfers away from Notre Dame, goes to Florida where he's going to be the guy, and then it's not the guy, and he's really not very good. Yeah. This whole transfer portal thing is interesting to me, and... It works out for some, right? I mean, for some, it's a really good deal. But it's not going to work out for everybody, right? I mean, with, with more and more people transferring out, and generally speaking, you're not transferring out if you were good enough to be the starter. If you've got a starting job, you're not probably going somewhere else in search of a starting job. 
So if you weren't good enough to win the starting job at Notre Dame, eh, maybe you're good enough to go be the starter at UCF. But what about if you weren't good enough to win the starting job at Mm. Where should we say? Arkansas. Cole Kelly. He's transferring to a smaller school, right? Yeah. Which you could say is the what Book is doing to some degree. It's a lesser level. Who, Wimbush? I mean Wimbush, yeah, sorry. Not Book. Yeah, but is UCF that much of a lesser level? No, but it's still the American Conference and probably a little bit easier in terms of competition, wouldn't you say? I mean, there's a reason undefeated Notre Dame was in the playoff and undefeated UCF wasn't. If you weren't good enough to win the starting job at Boston College, why? And that's not a shot. I mean, I don't mean it to be a shot anywhere. And we know the Justin Fields story at Georgia. He was the most highly recruited quarterback in the country. And he decided to go somewhere because he thought he was good enough to beat out another freshman who had just taken a team to a national championship game. It didn't fair? work out. Yeah, he might have been, honestly. It just Fromm never really cracked to give them an opportunity to like oust the incumbent. Yeah. And, in and his you're not case, changing just for the sake of changing. Go ahead, Bort. Oh, in his case, he, in hindsight, go where you want to go to college, but he probably shouldn't have gone to Georgia anyway. A Who, true fields? Yeah, a true freshman led them to the national championship game, and you think you're just going to step in and take the job from him? Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I mean, and, and, you know, believe what you want to about your own abilities, but don't be shocked if you don't win the job. And you have to transfer a year later. The only question with Justin Fields is, is he going to be immediately eligible when he transfers? We'll see. We will see. NFC Championship game is coming up on Sunday. Today, Drew Brees turned 40. Take a look at some of what Drew Brees has pulled off in his career when we come back. More coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. So I said a second ago, Drew Brees turns 40 today. We take a quick time out. Rippy looks at me and goes, Hey, Richard, are you 40? No, no, I'm I'm not 40, not yet, although I'm not terribly far from it. I'm 38. What was your next question, though? I already forgot. Wait. Your next question was, could you still play quarterback oh, for the right. Saints? And I said, well, I said, I've probably got one year left in me. I don't know if I could do it for two more. And then you followed it up with... It's crazy to think about it when you compare it to just, like, people you know in real life, because... Seems like a kid's game, and then, you know, grown man playing it for that long. Yeah. I mean, not that all, like, pros are kids, but you know what I mean. There's a difference between, like, 29 and 39 or 28 and 38. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. There's no question. So Drew Brees is a year and a half older than me, and he's got, like, $12 more than me in his bank account. I mean, he's been really successful. Give or take. Eli Manning and I are the exact same age. You know, we were in school together, you know, weren't like close friends, but were friends, acquaintances in college, whatever. All he's done is gone on to win two Super Bowls. 
a couple of MVPs. They give you a car when you win the MVP. He's got two of them. I'm sure he's giving those away or whatever. You're getting awards too, though. You get a car for that thing yesterday? Um, yes, but it's a Matchbox. <laughs> matchbox car. It's almost the same thing. You just don't have to pay for insurance on it. It's it's fantastic. Um, it really is weird when you think. How old are you? Twenty three. How old are you, Borky? Twenty six, twenty seven, in uh, six weeks. Um, so twenty three is not not really applicable. I mean, you're, you're talking about guys that have just graduated that are in their their rookie year, or second year. I guess twenty six. I mean, you got guys that have played for three years professionally or four years professionally, and their careers are about to be done. Borky, some of them have made enough money to never have to work again. Isn't that wild? That's what the part that people don't realize, though, right? Because, like, Borky, what would you do if you already had enough money and you were told you couldn't do the current job you're doing anymore, but you didn't have to work again? Like, it would be a weird place to be in at this point in your life, right? Yeah, and I'm the type, I can't, as much as I say I would like to, like, if I won the lottery, you guys would never see me again because I'd go buy a private island, but I, I, I wouldn't be able to just sit on the beach all day long. I would have to do something. So if... Let's pretend that producing this radio show was making me $10 million a year and then like my fingers couldn't hit the buttons anymore. I don't know what I would do because I am the type that needs to be occupied by something. Well, it, it, it's kind of fascinating to me, though. Uh, do you make $10 million a year, but you only spend 650000 a year? Because if you're that guy... Yeah, I'm that guy. Th- then... Good for you. You really are set because you've got $30 million in the bank. I love this hypothetical. But if you make $10 million a year and you spend $8 million a year, and the $8 million a year that you spent wasn't necessarily in cash, it was just on stuff, and you still financed a bunch of stuff, which is kind of crazy to think about when you're talking about that kind of money, you've got to continue to have a revenue stream. Or you got to change your lifestyle. Because making $10 million a year for five years, but spending $8 million a year for those five years, plus having bills that are due, the math doesn't work there. Um, you know, here's an interesting example. So, you guys know David DeLucci. He's been on this show. I've worked with him a bunch. He played in the big leagues for 14 years. And for the first, I don't know, seven or eight years, he made either league minimum or a little bit above it. You know, he kind of worked his way up. And then he got one or two, he got one big contract. And he probably made, I, I, I have to pull it up, whatever his contract, he probably made in the neighborhood of $20 million, $15, 20000000 million playing Major League Baseball. Well, if you're smart about it, that's life-changing money. And you don't really ever have to work again. But David's kind of like what you were talking about, Borky. He he can't just sit around and do nothing. So yeah, he hunts and yeah, he fishes and yet, but yeah, he started a foundation and he started broadcasting and doing all kinds of other stuff. It would be hard, even if all you did was play a game for a living, for sixteen years after you graduated college to hit forty or forty-one and go, all right, I'm done. And it's really crazy to think about for me. I'm sitting here at 38. What if three years from now, I retire? 
And I got enough money set aside, I don't ever have to work again. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'd give it a go. <laughs> Play a lot of golf in a lot of cool places. That's such a long time, though. Wouldn't you feel like after 18 months of playing a bunch of golf, you'd want to get back into some sort of routine? Well, here, here's the, there's part of me that goes, you know what, I just travel a ton because I love to travel and love to go places. But what if you got kids? Well, your kids have to have a normal life. They've still got to go to school somewhere. Are you just going to leave them with a nanny forever while you go travel all over the world with your wife? Hey, I'm not going to do that. That was a long roundabout way of getting to some of what Drew Brees has accomplished. Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, 12-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro in 2006. Is it surprising to you that he's only been first-team All-Pro once? He's been overlooked most of his career. Four times he's been named second-team All-Pro, including this year. Twice he has been named the NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Did not happen this year. He's the 2006 Walter Payton Man of the Year. Which there are a lot of guys in the NFL to which that is a really, really big deal. Seven times he's led the NFL in passing yards. Four times he's led the league in touchdowns. Twice he's had the best passer rating. He has the most career passing yards in NFL history. The most completions. The highest career completion percentage. Highest single season completion percentage. Most consecutive games with a touchdown pass. Most pass completions in a year. Most touchdown passes in a game. He's tied in that category. And yet, when you name the best quarterbacks in the game, he's not usually the first or second or third name that you get. He should be, though, by every measure, which is kind of crazy, right? You think it's probably mostly a product of playing in the same era as Brady and kind of I mean, Manning as well. Peyton, that is. No, I understand. And his teams weren't always a, a mainstay winning big playoff games like Brady's were either because he, I mean, he had a, a sandwich in his career where he was playing with historically bad defenses. I mean, horrendous defenses, so they couldn't, you know, eclipse 500 even though he was putting up ridiculous numbers because they couldn't stop anybody. That in the timing of him getting there makes him more valuable than any of those guys we just named, which sounds crazy when you talk about Brady. But like in a lot of ways, he literally like saved the Saints. Yeah, they were going to move to San Antonio. That was going to happen. Okay, is so Drew Brees came to San Francisco in 2006. He had five seasons with the Chargers. But since 06, he's been with the Saints. Total of 18 years in the NFL. If he plays next season, he will have played 19 seasons in the NFL. Is he Mr. Saint? Yep. Most recognizable, most iconic player in Saints history? Yep, because as Rich, uh, as Rippy mentioned, the timing of his arrival. And then winning the Super Bowl three years after the, the hurricane hit and all of that. Yeah. And that was in the season they got back into the Dome, right? Or was it two years later? It was two years later. For the record, he has, through this season, made $221,710,422. 
That'll if he play. plays for the Saints next year, he is due twenty three million. He'll play next year, won't he? I have a feeling if they win the Super Bowl, he won't. I don't. I, I base that on nothing but feeling. Well, it makes sense because their window is what a couple more years before a lot of these guys have to start getting paid again, and you probably break a little bit of it up. I mean, they so got to like, pay Mike Thomas next year, so there's so, one. So if they lose, right, you could see it coming another year or two. But to your point, if they win, what are you really coming back for? Has John Elway had the greatest career walk off of anybody that's ever played? Hard to think of a better one. He won the Super Bowl, rolled off into the sunset, and has remained with the team. Peyton kind of did the same thing. Wasn't with the same team, though. Elway's definitely better. How about the difference in their careers from a cash standpoint? Drew Brees closing in on $250 million. If he plays one more year, he's sitting at $225 million right now. John Elway played 16 seasons, won two Super Bowls, and he made $45 million in his career. Drew Brees will make more money in the last two years that he plays than John Elway made in his entire career. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.